0: As uh, you know, if you've been with us, we've been uh, reading together from the book of Judges, the book in the Old Testament there, that um, deals with God's people when really they are not at their best, when they are far from God and uh, making a dreadful mess time and time again. When we read the Bible, whenever we read the Bible, what we're trying to do is we're trying to read the text Um, with one very, very keen eye, trying to make sense of what's the Bible saying. But at the same time, we've got our eye on the newspaper or the television. We're trying to work out what's going on in the world. How do we hold those two things together? How do we listen to the Word and the world? And how does the Word of God help us to get a perspective on what's going on all around us? And we're also asking, well, God, what do you want of us? So it's been very difficult this week not to be aware of this man. A victory that was a shock, a victory to be president, that despite the sexism, the racism, the insults, the crudeness, he was elected. And um, at least this side of the pond, we all wondered, how and why? Kind of asked questions about, well, doesn't character matter? And it's hard. Well, it's actually not hard at all, actually. It's really easy to have an opinion about someone else's political system. <laughs> and so you've got to be careful. But why did so many people vote for him? Well, is it possible that actually you vote because of the promise that you're being offered? So the promise was, we'll make America great again. You kind of wonder whether it's possible to want all the right things, and look for them in all the wrong places. You see, it's right that we look for purpose. It's right that we look for peace. It's right that we look for security. It's right that we look for prosperity. And it's right that we think change is possible. And yet, it's possible to do it in all the wrong ways. Because those things that we search for, those things that, I'm not really talking about Americans anymore, I'm talking about me. Those things that we long for for our own place are God-given things. We want We want security, we want peace, we want people to do well. But how do you make sense of that? And how do you do it in a way that is right? So with one eye on the American scene, I've got the other eye on Samson, a man that was used as a judge in the book of Judges. Samson, who's heroic Samson, who's a loose cannon. The whole story of Samson's kind of strange, really. And what I want to do before we go any further is to read part of his story. Last week, we looked at the first uh, three three chapters, really, of his life. But this week, I just want to look at chapter 16 of the book of Judges. So if you've got a Bible, or you can grab one, or look over someone's shoulder, let's just look at uh, Judges 16, and then uh, we'll read it together, and then we'll try and make sense. So Judges chapter 16. There's a story that you know really well. And in fact, halfway through the reading of this, some of you are going to be humming a tune. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they made no move during the night saying, but dawn will kill him. Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. And then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You kind of get the idea that if you're going to be able to do that, if you can do that to a city gate, I think people are going to go up, fair enough, we won't bother you. And so they didn't. Sometime later... He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. And then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried. And she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. "'You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied.' And he said, "'If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, "'I'll become as weak as any other man.' So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. And then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, "'Samson, the Philistines are upon you.' But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, "'Until now you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. "'Tell me how you can be tied.' Now, at this point, as you're reading the story, are any of you thinking, Samson? (laughs) There's something about this woman (laughs) and about all these men that she keeps having in a room ready to spring out when you're tied up. And kind of, without being prurient, you kind of want to ask, what is actually going on here? And, um, well, maybe Samson's not the first nor the last powerful man who likes to play with danger maybe that's we've seen that somewhere else maybe it's very common and so maybe what's going on is that Delilah is clearly, clearly trying to use Samson, but what's Samson getting out of this? well he's either really dumb and that's a possibility Or, well, or he's going along with it. So, verse 13, Delilah says, Until now, you've been making a fool of me and you've been lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. And he replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. And again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep, pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. (laughs) <laughs> Fellas, don't laugh. Don't snigger at these points. <laughs> He's telling you more about you than the scripture. So he told her everything. No razor's ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I'd become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he'd told her everything, She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. And having put him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. And binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding corn in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God's delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirit, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so I can lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached out towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on their rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. His brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him and they brought him back and they buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he'd led Israel for 20 years. Samson, this guy of strength, the guy who was marked out because when the spirit came upon him, what he did become was absolutely almost unconquerable. The widest story about Samson, very quickly, was birthed by a miracle. His parents couldn't have children, and it's one of those Bible stories where absolutely impossible birth situations get interacted by with God. God intervenes, and out of something that was seemed so impossible, Samson's born. He's called by grace. Not because of what he's done, but God sets his spirit upon him long before Samson knew anything about anything. He was bound by a vow. His, uh, God had said to his mum from birth, I want this child to be a Nazarite. And there were three things that a Nazarite, uh, it, kind of like it was like a special vow that people could take. And the three things, I, I guess the, the equivalent for us would be like becoming a nun or a monk doesn't make you a better Christian, it just means that you take extra vows, if you will. And in the Nazarite, was very similar. The three vows, what were the three vows they took? Was that firstly, I'll never come into contact with a dead body. Because they thought that would make them unclean. The second thing is that they said, um, I'll, be, um, I'll never have my hair cut. I'll let my hair re- grow really long. And the third thing is, I'll be God's. I'll be set apart for him. That kind of vow. And and there was another thing about uh, he wouldn't drink alcohol as well. And he was bound by that vow. But Samson, by the time he's died, all of those three vows have been broken. He's empowered by the Spirit. All of this, you'd think, Samson, you've got such a great start in life. You've been birthed by a miracle. You've been called by grace. You've been bound by a vow. You've been empowered by His spirit. God's really on you. And yet, Samson is restless and faithless. One of the things about reading the Bible is, you've got to recognise that they're not just trying to give you independent history. What they're trying to do is, the writers of the Bible know these stories, and they're telling you the story of what happened so that a generation later can read the story and go, why is that important? In other words, it's not like just, oh, well, that's interesting. They're actually trying to, it's almost trying to preach to you. So a, a later generation retelling this story of Samson and going, you need to hear this story. And one of the reasons you need to hear it is because that sounds remarkably like the whole story of the people of Israel. It's almost like Samson becomes a living out of the whole people of God throughout the whole Old Testament and the temptation for us too. He's a picture of the temptations we face. The people he, f- he was fighting all the time and the people who were going to kill him are these people. This is, this is a fresco taken from an Egyptian um, uh, palace that's just uh, it, actually just before the book of Judges. It's in the time of Joshua. But those people there, they're the, they're the Philistines. These people were real, in other words. And um, it's not just a story of a, an ancient story or a fable. These were real people, real, powerful people and what's happened to Samson Samson's just become like them they're trying to oppress the Israelites they're trying to put down the people of God but they seem to be doing really well they're the ones with the power they're the ones in the frescoes they're the ones that you can see the Egyptian writing above they're the ones that are written about they're kind of like they're the heroes of history. I tell you what, you don't get in, in these Egyptian um, places, in these sorts of carvings, you don't get the Israelites. And it's not because they weren't there, it's because they were the underclass. The powerful are the people that get painted or carved. It's like when you go to the National Trust, you know, if, you, if, you, if that's how you enjoy spending an afternoon, then. Good for you. But you know when you go to these big halls, these big houses, and and all the pictures are really massive, grand pictures, and you know that none of these people in these pictures were the gardener or the cook. They owned the place because the powerful get written about. And Samson, Samson in one sense is trying to free a people from these powerful overlords, but actually... He's becoming like them. And in particular, Samson's story seems to be dominated by women. It starts in chapter 14. He goes down and he sees a young Philistine woman. And he says to his mom and dad, get her, I want her. And his parents are going, do you really want a Philistine woman? Yeah, that's who I want. I want to be like them. And they say to to him, what about your own people? No. I want her. And he gets her. It ends really badly. But he gets her. The second woman is a prostitute in Gaza. He buys her. He uses her. And the third is Delilah. The only woman he probably really loved. But In a sense, what's happened to Samson is, again, what happens to the people of of God. It's their heart that gets dragged away. When the prophets later talk about what it means to be the people of God, they keep coming back and go... In fact, they use the language, and they use language that we we probably wouldn't want to talk about in church too often. But they talk about the idea of, you're just prostituting yourself. What What do they mean by this? You're just going after whoever looks most attractive. You're becoming like everybody else. And in a sense, Samson's problem with women is that he's just being led, led, led. The interesting thing about Delilah is she's the one that he really loves. Everybody, every other woman he's used, but Delilah is the one he loves. But Delilah is the woman that uses him. We were told at the beginning of the story the Philistine said, if we give you 1,100 shekels each, will you find out how we can destroy this man? And Delilah is this woman who says, I'll take your money and I'll find this out. And that's why that little story of, tell me why you're so strong. And in the end, what's she really asking? Delilah's asking him, tell me who you are. I want to know who you are. And it's kind of interesting because Delilah is the only one that he says to. He says, and I I did read it. Let me just find it again because then I can get it exactly right. He says, No razor has ever been used on my head, verse 17, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I'd become as weak as any other man. Suddenly, he says to this woman who has captivated him, but the woman who's using him, this is who I am. And so in the middle of the night, his head, hair is cut, the vow is broken, and he becomes like any other man. Until we get him at the end. And there's that brilliant picture at the end of him being, his eyes are gouged out, um, they make him just perform, they make him grind uh, wheat. And what they think's going on there is they kind of make him act like a woman, all right? They're kind of mocking him. So come on, grind, gr- make bread for us. And they're just pouring abuse upon him. And they're asking him to perform. And you can imagine, he's, he's, he's blind now because they've gouged out his eyes and they're saying, come on, do the circus tricks, You can imagine it's sort of like the equivalent. Here, there's a telephone directory. Tear that in half for us. Blow up the the water bottle. And the man that was leading a nation now becomes a performing circus act. And eventually he finds his way between the two pillars because he's holding the hand of a young man who guides him then. He says, I just want to lean there. And he pushes against them because... What the Philistines forgot was that his hair would grow again. and You kind of want to go, there's questions about that. How come it's just the hair thing? But it's this sort of sense that God's more faithful to Samson than Samson ever is to God. And so in that final act, he pulls down the temple. He's a man who's been betrayed by Delilah. He'd been handed over to the enemy for money. He's been tortured and chained. He's been publicly mocked. He's been called to perform. And he dies with his arms outstretched. And it looks like defeat, but he crushes the enemy. Does it remind you of another story? It's almost exactly the same story as the story of Jesus. Jesus. Like another one who deals with the source of all our problems, who deals with the source of all our hopes and all our fears, but not now an enemy. Jesus, when that happens to Jesus and he's crucified, not just to destroy the Romans or the Jewish authorities, but to destroy the enemy of all of God's good earth. The New Testament talks about This idea that Jesus destroys the devil's work. So who are we? You read the story of Samson. And you see that Samson has been given all the gifts of God. And he uses all of them too cheaply. He's destroyed in the end by his own heart. His own heart that goes after something that he knew wasn't right. If we're being kind to Samson, we're saying, you're looking for love, but you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Samson wants security, but he's not looking in the right place. And so when I'm listening to all the comments and the commentary about what's happened in America this this week, and people trying to explain, why did people vote for Donald Trump? And what does that mean? And who knows what it will mean? Who knows what sort of president he'll actually prove to be. But my fear is this. That what will happen is people will watch how he became president. And he became president just by being foul-mouthed, by being crude, by being putting down your enemies, by not caring, by being racist, by being sexist. And people will go, if that's what it takes to win, we'll be like that. And I'm hearing the way of Jesus who says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the thing that Samson was asked to do was can you bring freedom to a people? But Samson's own character just meant that every time, although God was faithful, it was a mess. People in America, some people in America, have said, we want to be peaceful. We want to be, we want to be at peace. We want to be prosperous. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. And they look to the people who are the loudest and they go, he's the strong man. He'll take us there. And whatever happens next, I, I really do believe this strongly. The followers of Jesus are going to have to look radically different. We're going to have to be the ones that go, you can't just say that about the foreigner. The followers of Jesus, the men who are followers of Jesus, are going to have to say, you stand for dignity for women. You can't just think that you can objectify them the followers of Jesus are going to have to stand and go, it's about something different because we follow someone different. We understand your desires. But actually, it's possible like Samson to look for all the right places in all the wrong places. You can want the right thing, but you look for it in the wrong place. And so the gospel of Jesus is not just something that is just for you, though it is. It's not just for you so that you can know freedom. It's not just for you so you can know peace, though it is. But it's actually a different way of being. That's why church is not just a group of individuals who come to church and then go away and do their own thing all week. What we're trying to do is create a community of people who demonstrate something different. It's when Rob said earlier, when, we, when I asked him the question, why do you want to do this job? And he said, because I'm absolutely... Jesus has changed my life. I think if I say it right, if I remember rightly, he said, "Jesus changed my life, and I want other people other good news, and I want this place to be known as a place of safety for a whole community." In other words, the reality of what the good news is, the reality of following Jesus is not just, it's good for me. But it's good for a whole city. And so you've got to stay faithful to it. When around you, it's easy to see, well, other people seem to be doing quite well without Jesus. And you go, yeah, but I'm going to follow him. Where it's easy to give your heart away too cheaply. And to be honest, that happens on any number of levels. But you give your heart away too cheaply. It's so easy to want all the right things, but look in the wrong places. We need to be different. Samson, well, he was one of the judges that God wanted to use, but Samson kept on using it for his own gain. But in the end, God is more faithful than Samson's faithlessness. God is more faithful to us than all our mistakes. If we say, God, I want to be used by you. Ultimately, those prophets, the Rolling Stones said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, you might find you get what you need. Now, I don't want to too, place too much weight on the rolling cut stars, but every now and again, you get a picture in a culture of people putting a finger on and going, that's how it is. And I know that in, in a personal in my own personal life and I know it in a in a community and I know it in a nation that actually sometimes you don't get what you want. But actually in offering your life to Jesus, what you find is you get exactly what you need. And it'll be the same for you as it is for our city. As it is for a nation. And Samson stands there as kind of like a warning. But it's also a picture of the one who makes it possible. The Jesus who comes and says, at his time, freedom's not found in in the Romans. It's not in your own traditions. It's actually in the kingdom of God that breaks in, that does something new. And yet again, on a Sunday morning, those of us who know Jesus go, that's the Jesus I want to follow. And then the tricky bit, how's it work out? How's it work out in your place of work? How's it work out in your family? How's it work out in your neighborhood? I want to follow that Jesus because that's the Jesus that's got the hope. And there's no point me just ranting about other stuff. He's the one I want to follow. that make at least sense? Time's going by. We've really not got time to respond. But let's just pray and the guys will come back and we'll play. And what we're going to do is we're going to make our way towards communion. Communion works on all sorts of different levels. So on one level, it's the the most basic thing you can think of. It's a piece of bread and it is a, um, a small glass of grape juice. It's as simple as that. But of course, in this context, what happens is we remind ourselves that this is a a symbol, uh, a picture of the body of Jesus that was broken for you on that cross. When Jesus was crucified, he did overcome the enemy by his death. And by taking it, you're saying, I'm trusting, actually, in your victory, in your overcoming all of the enemy. And the little glass of grape juice it was like a picture of the cup of the covenant, the agreement cup that we drank together that says, this is a new agreement with you. And God's saying to you and to I, I'm in a new relationship with you. As you drink it, so you'll receive that new relationship. You kind of come into the covenant so every, every Sunday when we do it, we do it in all sorts of ways. And there's all sorts of things that can be at the forefront of our mind. But the, today, what I want you to have at the forefront of your mind is that as you come, and the way we do it, if you're visiting us, is we come down the middle of the, the church and we take it at the front, um, and eat and drink at the front, and then go back to our seats. But this is, this is the thing you're saying is, I want to identify with that Jesus. Jesus, I want to be on your side. I want to stand with you. because you're going back out this week into prisons and schools and homes and shops where there's a whole different story being told and you're going, and I'm going to stand for you because I'm identifying with you. Now some of you might not know where you stand as far as being a Christian. And it's okay in a sense. It's okay if you go, I'm really so unclear. I don't think this would be, I couldn't do this with integrity. And that's fine. Nobody's going to look down on you for that. But for those of you going, I'm not exactly sure where I stand, but I really know where I want to stand, and I want to stand for Jesus. I want to follow that Jesus. And you're welcome to come and be prayed with and say, I want to be there. So as these guys lead us in a song or whatever they're going to do next. I don't know if folk have been asked to serve this morning. If you have, would you like to come and prepare?